0: Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts,
1: Natalie Kaborik and Tara Dusen. and together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space. We're ag like you've never
0: seen or heard it before.
1: And we are back with episode 75 of Discover Ag, which is brought to you as always by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life. A life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of Discover Ag podcast.
0: Happy Thursday. Happy
1: Thursday. It has been a weekend. I was I went out of town for the weekend to celebrate my mom's 60th birthday, and I left the girls at home, and I don't think I have done that, like gone on a trip with my mom without the kids since before the kids were born. You do travel a lot, but it is always with your girls. Always. So I did what any millennial mom would do and binge watch all of my favorite shows for like three days straight. <laughs> Like literally, Dan's like, "What did you do?" I'm like, "I watched Ted Lasso, you, and
0: Shrinking." Like that's it. You're like, and then we snuck in a minor celebration for my mom in there in between. Yeah. Episodes. <laughs> like, and we sang my mom <laughs> happy birthday at some point. Yeah, that's <laughs> it.
1: Um, I was kind of laughing though because there was some funny pieces in some like um,
0: some of the TV shows I was watching. I'm mm-hmm. super jealous that you are watching. Well, both you said Shrinking, right? Yep. Okay, and then Ted Lasso, both from our Apple TV, and I need to just bite the bullet and buy it, but I'm too cheap at heart too. But those are two shows I've been wanting. I've been wanting to watch Ted Lasso for a long time. It was really popular in our friend group, and Luke and I are like on the outs of it. Um, and now with shrinking, I'm like, okay, I think I'll bite the bullet and do it. Okay.
1: So what was making me laugh about these shows, though, is that there was some like conversation around vegans in both of those two shows, and it was really surprising how it was portrayed. So in shrinking um Harrison Ford's daughter mentions that she's vegan and she's like don't hold it against me and he's like that's a really big ask and it was like super funny like super dry but it was just funny to acknowledge that like that was I don't know like Kind of a, a downer in the situation, like that they were gonna have to like pick what they were gonna eat or whatever. I just I thought it was interesting, and then in Ted Lasso it was even more interesting because they um, the old, the person who owns the team, like the older woman, was like, "Hey, let's go to dinner to a younger like millennial woman," and she was like, "No, I can't make it," and the, the older woman was like, "Oh, I'm not vegan anymore." And so I thought it was funny that like the older generation was the one that was vegan and the younger one was like, and the girl, the younger girl was like, oh, thank God. You know? And so it was just like a very interesting dynamic that I felt like was like not what I would have expected in the conversation. I,
0: I know that you brought it up to talk about the vegan veg, vegetarian, but I, do you know how old Harrison Ford is? I actually Googled this weekend because oh I was gosh. talking to someone about a 1923 rant. Do you know how old he is? My mom Googled it, but I can't remember what
1: she said because we had this exact same conversation. How old is he? 80. Holy cow. And he he's is doing 19, 80, 23 years and old. shrinking. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's a full schedule. Talk about like, w- like doing the work.
0: And I, I remember watching in 23 and thinking, gosh, he's like getting older, but I thought it was part of the acting, like kind of how he like at, walked, you just a little bit sore or tight, just older. I was like, man, he's really selling it. Like, way to go, you know? You're, here yeah. forward. You're a good actor. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder if that's actually part of like if you were to just see him walk normally, if he, he's just aged that much. I just can't believe it. 80.
1: That's really crazy. Um, mm-hmm. In Shrinking, he it plays a person who's obviously older and has um, Parkinson's. So he's pretty like, Mm. older as well. So maybe he is just kind of slowing down. I don't know. You can tell his mind is like still sharp as a tack. It seems like, like he's so funny and shrinking and extremely like dry sense of humor and just plays it so well.
0: I didn't realize how much of a crush I had on him, but I think I have a crush on him.
1: <laughs> you would have loved the dinner <laughs> conversation last night because it was Googling old actors that were like oh, yeah. that my mom and my aunt like think are so hot like it was like harrison ford and robert redford it was just yes. along that theme so it was it was something to be a
0: part of <laughs> i feel like old actors that were once young and hot are trending right now like it's very popular they're all over tiktok i've seen the funniest um videos with them there's one where like a mom and daughter together in the video it says like that. one is 29 and 59 and it's over the same man but in different movie characters yes, yes. it's so funny it's, um, I feel like it
1: started with Kevin Costner in Yellowstone. I feel like that's mm-hmm. where that meme started. And it was like the, when Kevin Costner was young, the mom like swoons. And then Kevin mm-hmm. Costner as Yellowstone and the daughter like swoons. It's quite entertaining. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> oh, well, happy birthday to your mom. Happy I hope, 60th uh, I birthday. Hope, I hope she got open presents between all the, between Tara's lineup.
1: Considering my like love language (laughs) is gift giving, as we've discussed, I didn't get her a gift. So, (laughs) you are the the gift. Kid free. Tara, kid free is the gift. (laughs) You're welcome. Mm.
0: All right, jumping into this week's top trending topics in the ag and food space that you guys need to know. Drum Drum roll. The first one is Utah school gives kids disgusting insects to eat in class for climate assignments on cows killing the earth.
1: So I actually sat on a panel um a while back with a cricket farmer. I can't I can't remember if that's what she went by or not, but I mean essentially she was a <laughs> cricket farmer. And so I'm gonna bring some of that um, firsthand experience or knowledge that she shared to this
0: conversation. I don't know why, but it makes me laugh to be like, Are you a cricket rancher or a cricket farmer? Like that's you know what how I'm there's wondering. a debate.
1: <laughs> like what is it? Or are you a cricket producer? Like dairy dairy producers. Lots of options out there. We just, we probably
0: should ask them what they want to be. Okay. Our second article is taxing farming is vital for Denmark's climate target. Government advisor says. I'm curious where you're going
1: to take this conversation because I made the leap from Denmark to the Netherlands and just like really dug into where the Netherlands is at with all of their different taxing and regulation and elimination of nitrogen. Um, And there is a lot happening.
0: I feel like this could be a long podcast, honestly, because I didn't think I was going to have a lot to say about the cricket farmer rancher producer. And I have a whole lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's keep moving then. Let's get to them. And our third article is Bill Gates backs new startup aiming to reduce emissions from cow burps.
1: Uh, There, I actually pulled up a couple different articles for this one. I feel like this is a race right now. Like people In the ag tech industry, they are racing to figure out who can do a feed additive that will curb emissions like it
0: is on. It's exciting. We also have a whole episode coming on it. So I feel like which I kind of wanted to reference when I was making my notes. So it'll be exciting that that is going to drop at the end of this month for everyone to listen to as well. Uh, Before we dive into all of that, though, you guys, let's remind you of our giveaway. If you enjoy Discover Ag, please share it um, to your social channels, leave us a review, or tell a friend. At the end of the month, we pick one person who did that and we send them a package of all of our favorite things. It is so rewarding to see your guys's tags. So we really appreciate it um, and just want to say thank you. So let's get Discover Ag growing. Speaking of growing, we also now have
1: our monthly newsletter for Discover Ag. So we will link that in the show notes. If you want to join our monthly newsletter, we're going to be going beyond the podcast in the newsletter and really giving you um, follow up to things that we may have covered already, like follow up to stories we've already covered. But even beyond Ag news, we're going to be sharing some of our favorite things that we've been loving, whether it's a food, a recipe, um, a product, uh, a white paper. You know, if you're like a research junkie, like Natalie and I kind of tend to be, we're going to be sharing all of that in the newsletter. Um, um, Natalie has been working tirelessly on that newsletter. And I feel like you are. Natalie puts together a good newsletter. So jump on our newsletter sign up sheet in the show notes. I'm,
0: I'm excited to send it out. I'm excited. All right. Headline. Utah school gives kids disgusting insects to eat in class for climate assignment on cows killing the earth. A middle school in Utah's Nebo School District gave sixth grade students disgusting insects to eat last week as part of an English assignment on climate change, claiming it would save the environment from cows, which were, quote, killing the world, end quote.
1: So I obviously think that the whole like killing cows, killing the world thing is problematic. But I will say I didn't love how this article framed the bugs like bugs are eaten by lots of populations like across the world. And their whole use of like disgusting repeatedly was a little dramatic for me. Actually, I felt like it lost some credibility to the story with how
0: they were like disgusting bugs. You're like people choose to eat bugs. Like, I don't know. So Kind of same thing. I did find the video disturbing, but not so much for the content. I was like, okay, it's fine. Like, we want to talk about bugs. I actually didn't even have a problem offering like the extra credit for eating the bugs. I'm like, that's kind of fun and unique. I could see kids like hating it, loving it. I don't know. It seems like a fifth grade thing to do, you know? And and I don't mind at all. Again, it's not the content, it's the way the content was delivered. It's if you watch the video, it's pretty indoctrinated. The teacher is quoted as saying there's only one right answer. We don't want to eat bugs because it's gross, but should we? Yes, because cows are killing the world by raising cows and animals. Um, We're depleting the ozone layer and taking up too much land. Period. End of story.
1: Yeah, I feel like the teacher needs to have a lesson in what an argumentative essay is. Cause every time I've ever had an argumentative essay, like in a debate class, the teacher split us into two and we had to debate it from opposite ends. So I was like, isn't that what an argumentative essay is? Is like, uh, it was, yeah, the way the teacher worded everything was very scary. Um, like, yeah, the, you said it. There is only one right answer. Like, there's never only one right answer, except for maybe in like math
0: the girl even is recorded as saying like how come we can't state our opinion and write that why we shouldn't be eating bugs and she said because there isn't any evidence to support it so continually repeatedly throughout the video she is standing firm in like you said this one-sided answer to a quote argumentative essay that's supposed to be that in nature but really was not at all
1: i also one of the things with this is i tried to find some primary sources about eating bugs. And I was like, where are the teacher's sources? Because I did not find a ton of sources for eating bugs. I found information from the World Economic Forum, not a primary source, um,
0: and not a lot else. Did you have any luck like in that area? I didn't look because she's quoted in the article saying that she learned about it from the school system.
1: Yes, I saw that too, and that was kind of scary. That this is like Mm -hmm. she was like this was part of our training that we had, and that's why the school district is like backing her up on this is because it was something they were like teaching teachers to teach about,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which or teach a lot.
0: (laughs) Drinking game. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of vegan or vegetarian, it's teach. Um, It does make you wonder though if she's just pushing the buck though. You know, it could have been presented in one way, and then she is teaching it and obviously you know rolling it out in a different way How, could you eat bugs do you think could you if this is the mm-hmm. way society shifted or wanted to we um had to try bugs
1: when i was on that we didn't have to but the lady the cricket farmer the cricket producer she offered us chili flaked bugs and you know me i think i said it before i'll try anything once i don't know that i was mm-hmm. like ooh, this is it this is life-changing but <laughs> this is what i've been missing out on <laughs>
0: in my this, years of life
1: where have the crickets been what have I, I found a reel to share to discover stories about chocolate covered crickets. And I don't know if that would maybe (laughs) increase the appeal, but I mean, it's probably similar to like people not wanting to eat escargot or caviar. I mean, like I put it all into that same like bucket of like things that people either are excited about or nervous to try.
0: I would like to think I'm an adventurous in nature. And as I was reading the article, I'm like, yes, I can do this. And then I come across words like larva and silkworms. (laughs) And egg production, and I'm like out. Red flag, out. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> so
1: lucky for you, crickets are one of the ones that are the highest in protein. So that is one of the best ones. Like that would be probably what we'd eat would be crickets instead of like the larva. Um, so that maybe, maybe appeals to you more than the larva does.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm sold. So I went down. Do you want to hear about the rabbit hole? I went down. Love to hear it. Let's do it. So as I was just pulling up more articles on this, I came across some very interesting studies that all centered around insects as protein source into feedstock mixtures for livestock and aquaculture, which I'm sure there are listeners out there that are going to say, duh, obviously, but I had never, I don't just never thought of that or come across that in readings. And so I went down a whole rabbit hole about the future that could look like for insects as feed livestock. It's Insane. Um,
1: I feel like a lot of this podcast is going to be about feed additives for cattle. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: So it's obviously very underutilized right now in the feed industry, partly due to financial technical, but a lot to regulatory berries. There is limitations on um, – I don't – wouldn't be animal – well, let me see if I can find the exact – um, writing. It varies worldwide. The EU is specifically one that bans it more than other countries because of they label it K3 food waste, which is any mo- meat content going to leave stu- um, livestock, which includes insects. A lot of it was for um, mad cow disease. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yes. That would make S- sense. Yes. So while there's a lot of promise in it, they are talking about, obviously, like you said, there's a very high um, protein content. So it would meet the nutritional requirements needed for for animals. It's very promising from a scale standpoint, because you're not going to need, you know, inputs are low from a, a land standpoint. And then also like mass production, it would have like low greenhouse gas emissions, which I think is obviously something on the forefront of everyone's minds if we're trying to I mean, we've all had the predictions of how much the population is going to grow and how much more food we're going to have to produce. And if we don't want to allocate more land resources or we can't allocate land resources, I think ideas like this that are targeted at, you know, mass production, helping feed sustainably um, is very appealing. And so I don't know. it was just really, really interesting. So I actually Googled eating bugs to save the planet. Like that's
1: what I typed in. Mm -hmm. And the number one article was from the World Economic Forum. And they had like lists of things about eating bugs. And the number two thing was, how about incorporating it as livestock feed or purchasing animal proteins that have fed on insects? So they were definitely, I feel like they were aware of the fact that maybe not everyone is going to want to transition to eating insects. And so the feed additives in cattle is a great alternative to
0: that. So that's it, funny you bring that up because one of the articles I read at the end of it, they were assessing consumers' feelings on the bugs as additives to feedstock, like if they would eat um, – sorry, to to feed for livestock, if they would eat that, if it would make a difference to their purchasing habits, if they knew that that was like what the beef was fed, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, so we (laughs) well, and then they found the results were like, oh, surprisingly, people don't care. Like, and, you know, it was all like positively accepted. And I was like, okay, so we're concerned about people maybe not eating the beef because the cows are fed that, but we're going to try and have them eat it or we think it's okay. Like it did not make sense in my mind that they would be concerned that the cattle ate it, but not concerned that people would have to eat it
1: yeah Do you know what I'm saying yes yes like if people are worried about cattle eating it they're certainly not going to be transitioning to it um, exactly so uh, the cricket farmer I know and the ones I was looking at online when I was researching this it seems like a lot of them use like a seed container like a shipping container and they have their crickets they raise their crickets grow their crickets in
0: seed containers so so fascinating really is the other thing I'll note before we move on the article was also talking about that they could potentially be used certain insects would have the potential to become a new source for producing biodiesel oh which I thought that was obviously a whole nother very interesting avenue to go down
1: that kind of reminds me of like people doing something similar with algae
0: yeah super interesting I mean I think as a society as a whole I'm not sure I'm sure it's I just think it's going to be a long while before mass society is jumping on the bandwagon of like consuming insects um themselves directly and so I do think what other like how else can we use them is really interesting and I'm okay with like my my money I'm okay with my dollars and my time being spent on like researching that. I think it from what I've read it sounds I don't sounds interesting. Sounds maybe promising. Yeah. All right, our second industry news peak you guys need to know this week, the headline, Taxing Farming is Vital for Denmark's Climate Target, government advisor says. Denmark should aim to reduce beef and dairy production by levying an emissions tax on farming of 750 Danish crowns, which is $108 per ton, in order to reach its ambitious climate targets, the government's independent advisor said on Monday. Such a tax on farming will increase the incentive for farmers to switch to crops and pork production, which emit less greenhouse gas than cattle, according to a report by the Danish Climate Council, which Provides recommendations to the government.
1: Well, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably know what we're gonna say, is they talk about reducing production, not reducing consumption. So all they're gonna do is import more beef and dairy from other countries, and all they are doing is transferring the emissions to another country.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So if you guys want a little more information on this, Dr. Holder in episode 57 actually talked about it. It's called leakage. And like Tara said, it's when you make local decisions that have global effects that are the opposite of what you're trying to do in the first place. So when they try and push whatever it is, it could be with anything. I mean, you've talked about it with like fertilizer with, I I don't know, fill in the blank of whatever it is. You are no longer going to do it so that you locally reduce your carbon footprints of that product the demand is still going to be there. You're going to have to import it. Um, And lots of times you could even see it increase because one of the things that I wrote down is that um, when, places, cities, countries that are efficient at production, decrease it and offset it elsewhere, that probably means somewhere that is maybe not as efficient is going to be picking up the slack and that's going to increase carbon footprints. I think Dr. Sarah Place has a study on what we would actually do if we could increase efficiency everywhere and it would decrease the footprint. So we just... (sighs) I mean, we'll say it again. We've said it once and we'll say it again. We can't stop the progress in efficient places and like off-put the buck to non-efficient places.
1: So there's a quote in here that I thought was very, like it sums up what you said. Um, Such a tax would move jobs abroad and prevent Denmark from developing the solutions that can really make a difference in climate. And that came from the head of Climate, Danish Agriculture and Food Council. So obviously opposed to the tax. And I, I think that they said it so well that, they, they, you know, come up with solutions instead of just saying, we're not going to produce it anymore. We're just going imp- to import it from someplace else.
0: Well, the other interesting thing about that quote is before that we were talking about like just, just the production of it, the, the green, like the imprint, the, the footprint of what that would look like. But this is also talking about like the science. So again, if these places that are more advanced are going to stop doing it, we're not only losing the production of those places, but we're losing the science behind it. So how do we move forward as a society if they're just going to like, lift their hands up and be like, you know, not my monkeys, not my circus. So Denmark has set the goal to reduce emissions by 70%
1: compared to 1990 levels. So it's a very, like you said, ambitious goal. Um, One of the issues is that right now, the sector, agriculture sector, accounts for about 28% of emissions. But if all the other sectors, as we learned with Dr. Frank Mitlerner, that if all the other sectors decrease, it's going to make ag have like a bigger Portion. So if ag doesn't change anything and all the other sectors meet their goals, it will then account for forty percent because by default it'll have a larger percentage. Um, and I thought it was interesting how they use those statistics as kind of like a scare tactic. A little that it was like, oh look how big ag is going to be and how big of a problem it's going to be in the future. And I feel like that's something that we see a lot of in these headlines: is the use of statistics as like a scare tactic.
0: So did you pick up that they were kind of like hyper-focused on methane specifically? Oh, for sure. Do you feel like that's a new trend? I feel like everyone was hyper-focused on carbon and now I feel like all the conversation is around methane. Yes. Even
1: our third article is all about methane. I think it's because methane emissions are growing worldwide or increasing. I guess it's not growing. They're increasing
0: worldwide. But in Frank's podcast we just did the episode with him he talks about how the numbers are or maybe it was an episode actually that I was listening to him be interviewed elsewhere he talks about oh I wish I wrote it down I thought I did in my notes I don't have exact quote down written down but he was talking about how methane as you said it's increased but the actual warming from it has been staying like the effects of it have been staying the same
1: Yeah. And I think that has to do with the methane, like how it's broken down in the atmosphere that it breaks down every 10 to 12 years. So a lot quicker than CO2.
0: Which is why do you feel like we're hyper focused on the wrong thing? I mean, it's great that we're putting concern there. But I just feel like people, even the article said, and and maybe it's the next one that said it, but they were like, it's 80, which is the wrong statistic I have written down to correct it, but they're like, it's 84 times more potent. And they like, they love to not loop in the fact that it is removed, like the bathtub Faster. analogy that Frank does so well. I just feel like they make it scarier than it is a little bit.
1: I agree. I think that when we talked with Frank, hey, one of his points was to like it's important for us to be focused on methane because it can actually make a sh- difference in the short term, but that we need to be making changes to CO2 as well in order for there to be a long-term benefit. So I feel like people are focused on methane and that it could be a good thing, but they're coming at it from the wrong angle. It's good to focus on methane because it can be removed from the atmosphere so quickly, not because it's like... I don't know, worse than CO2. That's
0: true. So going back to the article, um, I think my biggest concern, like stepping, getting out of the weeds and stepping back is that I just really feel, and I'll be interested to know if you feel like this too, but I feel like people are starting to make food decisions for like our, whether it's a global food system or a local one without considering like the collateral effects. Like I feel it's really irresponsible.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, just as the guy mentioned, the, you know, the minister of ag that like, they're going to be moving jobs abroad, like, no thoughts on like, what's going to happen with these farmers and the allied industry that support agriculture. And you know, I think about the United States, like our rural communities that are so reliant on agriculture, like there's no, a lot of times there's
0: no thought, I think, for like the long term effects. Like, do you think they're just so focused on so they get rid of methane? There's no methane, okay? We get rid of the cows and there's no methane. And then it's like, then what? You still have all these other industries producing. And then you took away the one industry that could potentially pull from and actually remove. And so I'm just, I just don't get where the missing pieces for them. So go ahead. I also thought it was really interesting that they talked about encouraging farmers to switch to crops and pork because it had less of a footprint. Did you find that interesting? I did too. And I was curious what crops they wanted them
1: to grow. I had a lot of questions like the, in my mind, Denmark's climate is probably similar to when we learned about like UKs, that there's not a lot, like they can't always grow a ton of things. Like in some ways, some of these climates cattle is what's the perfect, like perfectly suited, I guess, for the climate is what I'm trying to say.
0: Well, and going back to like the conversation of (laughs) these the unintended effects it's okay so we start producing more crops or whatever else it is going back to animals being livestock being one of the things that can reuse byproducts it's like so we have more crop residue what happens to that crop residue what if we potentially increase our global footprint because now we took away the animals that are recycling this and now you have a crap ton of crops and nothing to do with the crops
1: Yeah. And on your crop ton, you have no crap for natural fertilizer. So you also
0: now are going to be crop ton. (laughs) It's not a crap ton. It's a crop ton of crop.
1: (laughs) You're going to be importing or making probably importing because as we know, in the current fertilizer crisis, you're going to be importing more synthetic fertilizer because you no
0: longer have cow manure. And how is there not one person at the table, one person at the table that can bring this dialogue into the conversation when the head and the assistant and all the other people around the table are voting and talking about, you know, the, the one side of the story. How is there not one person that's asking the questions or bringing up these other viewpoints to consider? Wow. You teed me up so well. Thank you.
1: Moving to Netherlands. Great question, Natalie. So the Netherlands, we know, has been having massive protests, tons of debate about removing farms. They want to remove 3,000 farms. Well, the farmers actually formed a party. It's the Farmer Citizen Movement. It's called the BBB. It's Brewer Burger Bingenhow. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce the last word. I'm <laughs> I think sorry. you definitely said it right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, they ran for parliament and they are now the largest party in the upper house of parliament for the Dutch government. And they only started their movement in 2019 or their political party. I should say started in 2019 and their single goal is to fight government plans to slash nitrogen emissions harmful to biodiversity by dramatically reducing livestock numbers and buying out thousands of farms. I do so remember is when how we... you get people at the table.
0: I remember reading about this when we talked about this for a prior episode. It was just like in the fine line footprint, like right at the end of the article. And I thought very interesting that we're starting to see this shift to um, what's uh, uh, politics. That's what I'm looking for. Very interesting that we're going to see it starting to play a really large role in politics.
1: Yeah, this election was just like last week. So, I mean, this is like... Breaking news as far as what's going on. Um, the leader of that party, though, has been receiving death threats and actually had to step back from like pu- like public life for a while because of the threats she was receiving. Um, lots of negative headlines sh- for them. Not even shocked. Not even so shocked. sad,
0: but not even yeah. surprised.
1: The uh, they're being called anti-globalist farmers. That's a lot of the headlines I saw. How are what they anti-globalist? I was wondering the same thing. What is anti-globalist and ha- because they want to keep their farms, keep producing food for their country, they are like bad people? I don't, It was kind of mind-blowing some of the headlines I saw
0: and how negative it had turned. Mm. So, well, the, the article ended with the industry should, which I thought was an interesting way to end the article. It said the industry should look into alternative solutions like cattle feed additives, which could lower the amount of methane. Um, again, going back to one point being our prior conversation about maybe there's an alternative besides taxing and decreasing. But two, I think it teases us up nicely for our third article. So we should just move into that, the whole feed yes. additives. Um,
1: yeah, that was a big point
0: in this one too, is feed additives. So let's jump right into it. Okay. So headline, Bill Gates backs startup tackling cow burps and farts. It turns out burps can be big business. Billionaire Bill Gates has announced an investment in Australian startup Rumen8, which is developing a seaweed-based feed to reduce the methane emissions cows produce through their burps and to a lesser extent, their farts.
1: Um, I mentioned this in kind of our intro, but this... There is so many companies that are looking to do feed additives, and it is absolutely like a race to see who can get approved first, who can get it on the market, who can convince farmers to actually start using it, feeding it, all of those kind of, you know, obviously like complicated issues. Uh, But I think that's why we're seeing these investments, uh, because Jeff Bezos is also backing the same one that Bill Gates is.
0: Are you surprised that Bill Gates is doing it? No, not at all. I think think it would be a
1: huge market for like a product.
0: Do you think he'll get any flack for backing, you know, plant-based alternative, like everything he's backed prior to this and now doing this? I don't think so. I mean, maybe
1: probably some, but I think overall he's going to spin it like, you know, this is another thing that's good for the planet. Like if people won't, you know, he's one of the ones that thinks like we should eat bugs and eat, you know, plants, plant-based. So I feel like he's just going to kind of spin it as like, well, if people aren't willing to do that, then like, how can we, how can I come in and make
0: things better? I like to see him on the right side of history. I was happy he was investing. I mean, listen, people, he could be investing in things that are against ag. So the more he's investing in things that help ag, I'm all for it. So I think we should do some methane facts because this article cited some stuff wrong. terrible. they quoted that methane is a potent greenhouse gas. While it is shorter lived in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide, it has 84 times more global warming potential over a 20 year period. And then they went on to say that nearly one third of global methane emissions come from livestock and most of that from beef and dairy cows. So I do think it's interesting that they went. I think the reason why they got away with saying 84 times is because they doubled the year period to 20 years where oh, the life cycle is normally years. 10 to 12. So which I think is I don't, I don't know, but I'm wondering if it's intentional to make it more shock value. Yes. So yes, it is more potent, but it is 25 to 28 times more potent. That's what Frank Mitlohner says. And if I'm going to listen to anything or anyone about anything about methane, it is going to be Frank Mitlohner, not some schmutz who wrote an article for ABC or every other person out there for that matter. Yeah. We're going to be um, the greenhouse gas guru. And the second thing I thought that was interesting is they said nearly one third of global methane emissions come from... Oh, no. Sorry. I'm going to get that in a second. They said it's the second most abundant greenhouse gas after CO2. Which is true, but if yep. you look at the statistics, CO two is seventy nine percent of total greenhouse gas emissions. Guess how much methane is? Mm. Eleven. Oh, I was going to guess ten. Yes, yes, that is such a drastic difference. Yeah. So methane's eleven, second. nitrous oxide's seven. Yes, it's a skew on it's a, a total little little misleading. Words.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. and then only one third of that is from cattle. The other one third is from wetlands, and one third is from landfills. Correct. Um,
0: no. So, in 2020, oh, no. methane activities were listed as followed. 32% was natural gas and petroleum. 27% was enteric fermentation. 17% is landfills. And 9% is manure management. So, lots of times, they will combine enteric fermentation and manure management together to say that agriculture it's is the more. leading cause of methane, mm-hmm. um, Where, which would put us above the 32% for natural gas and petroleum.
1: But that is only... Man made sources. It didn't list wetlands. So then, wetlands like naturally produced methane is also a large contributor.
0: Yes. And I don't have those statistics. And sorry if that's what you said going into it. No, this is for human activities. Yep. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. Those
1: are some really fascinating statistics when you really get into it.
0: I just think it's interesting how you can take a statistic and basically present it in the package you want to support the statement you want or the evo- emotion you want to evoke or whatever it is like you can skew anything like taking that methane is the second leading one behind carbon like it, it's this big scary thing we should tackle it it's 11 percent compared to you know 79 percent or whatever it was like that's I don't, it's just so interesting to me how you can skew things
1: yeah so back to the actual product i thought it was um promising that they feel like it could reduce methane by up to 85% in field studies. One of the issues, and we're going to get into this big time with our interview with Dr. Kim Stackhouse is how do you feed it to cattle? Um, is it in pill? Is it a powder? Is it pellets? And then the most important, how do you get it to grazing cattle? Because grazing cattle aren't coming to a feed bunk to eat. So how do you like spread it out on your fields? Like that doesn't Make a lot of sense. So, how do you get them to come in and eat it? So, um, that obviously, I was glad they at least like addressed some of those challenges that they're going to face. Like, great, we can get an 85% reduction
0: if the cattle actually eat it. But, like, how do we get them to eat it? So, based off the little research I did for this and then our interview with Kim Stackhouse that's going to drop at the end of this month, I do feel like science has really shown that it is an effective tool potentially for the methane reduction. I do think it's there. I just think like this article points out, we have work to do on how to deliver it. And Kim will also talk about like the differences between like dairy and beef um, and why it's like studied in dairy, which is really interesting. And so there's just a lot of nuance still around the conversation, but I think it's very exciting to see that the results are there. Like it is an effective tool if we can figure out how to properly utilize it.
1: Yeah, so one of the products I'm more familiar with is actually Beauvair or 3NOP, and it's a different type of product that's not seaweed that also has reduction. And something that I had never thought about until I was reading this article specifically about the seaweed is I we're not going to grow tons of seaweed in order to do this, which I guess I in my mind I kind of was thinking we we're going to have like seaweed farms and we'd harvest it and feed it to the cattle. They're going in like to make those properties that the seaweed has in a lab so they actually compared it to having aspirin like aspirin is naturally occurring in the bark of willow trees but we don't like harvest willow trees to make aspirin we just make it in a lab and that's what the seaweed will be too i hadn't i don't know i just envisioned harvesting seaweed and that's not what's going to happen
0: so one thing I didn't like about this article, which I was like, of course, they just had to, they couldn't resist it. So I feel like it was positively talking about the, what we could see with the changes to the agriculture industry with the feed additives. They wrote one criticism that has been leveled at solutions such as methane reducing feed additives is that they can distract from addressing the root cause of livestock's climate problem, including the huge amount of land needed to raise animals and grow crops for their feed. It's like, really? Really? We couldn't just have a positive article about the good things we're doing and the progress we're making in the industry without you just throwing us under the bus. Never. With your limited claims. Um,
1: No, they can't ever just give us like our win and say like, yay, like this is on the right track. We're doing something good. They've got to like somehow like throw agriculture under the bus. But no mention of, you know, the benefits of cattle on marginal lands or you know, going to Den- going back to our previous one in Denmark where they're probably not growing avocados, but they can definitely probably raise beef cattle. Like back to that again, you know, that it's – I don't the, – the complexities of land use is not as simple to just throw in a statement like that. But I feel like that's what a lot – a lot of articles, a lot of writers, authors of these articles, it's like easy – like an easy hit at agriculture,
0: animal agriculture. Circling back around to 20 minutes ago, you guys, I just found my note and it was not (laughs) Dr. Mitloner (laughs) who was talking about this. It was Dr. Holder. He presented on NASA data at Altec One that looked at the contribution of different greenhouse gases to the warming currently in the environment. And although methane is going up, the actual contribution of methane to total warming is very, very small. He said that CO2 is the big monster and what is causing all the havoc. And the only thing that we can do to pull CO2 out of the air, you guys, is plants. Grow crops, plant Mm. plants, grow trees, take care of our soil, and then have the animals further complement the soil and make it a life cycle.
1: Hence why agriculture is already. No one likes to talk about this. No one mentions this. Agriculture is already a carbon sink. We remove more carbon from the atmosphere than we put into the atmosphere. Mike drop. Yep. Period. <laughs> <laughs> well, these um, these articles in my mind when we were getting into them were vastly different and somehow at the end of this I feel like they are all like interconnected, all related and all go back to feed additives. So, well, that's, that's why where I couldn't find my notes because
0: I put it in the wrong section. <laughs> Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. In the wrong know. article. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, thanks for listening. I think that's all we have, you guys, this week. So, um, thank you so much for following um, and tuning in every Thursday, where we cover the top three trending topics you guys need to know in the ag and food space. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend to listen and share it to your social channels or take a second to leave us a review in the podcasting app. If you want more of us during the week, you can always follow us on Instagram at discoverag underscore at Natalie Kovarek under, oh, nope, just Natalie Kavoric and at Tara Van (laughs) as well as our YouTube, Discover Ag, the podcast. See you guys next week. See you next week.